Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for the fifth quarter. I'm Shelley Ware and I'm excited to introduce everyone's favourite, Eddie Betts. He's got a pocket named after him and is retiring this week and playing his 350th game, the 19th man in AFL history to do so. He uses his voice in the fight against racism and I'm thrilled to sit down one-on-one with him today. Eddie, can you believe that it has been 17 seasons and you have one more elite AFL game to play and it's your 350th? <laughs> Thanks, Shelley. Thanks, everyone, for having me. To be honest, I don't believe that it's been 17 years. That's half of my life, uh, you know, being AFL system on, on a schedule. So two more hours, like you said, this week we're just soaking it up and enjoying it and can't wait to run out there for the last time, which, is, which will be sad. Yeah, it will be sad. What is that feeling like inside you at the moment? It's the when I first knew three weeks ago that I got told I wasn't going to get offered another contract, I was sad. But the other half of me is relieved in a sense. I've been playing for so long, 350 games, you know, it's it's, it's a pretty unbelievable journey. And I, I kind of pinch myself thinking about the journey where I was to what I've achieved in my life and accomplished to now. But yeah, it's, uh, it's 350, it's, it's crazy. It sure is crazy. It's quite unbelievable. So you were draft pick number three in 2004 for Carlton, playing nine years before Adelaide signed you in 2013, then back to the Blues at the end of the 2019 season. Your personal achievements were quite long and quite wonderful. So we're going to be a little bit reflective and nostalgic today. What on-field moment will you look back on in years to come and smile about? My 300th game, that was an unbelievable week, you know, knowing that what happens now in the world with COVID and everything that's going on now, you know, I'm playing 350 and no one's going to be there to, to cheer on, which is which is good because I don't want no one to be there. I'd rather everyone to be safe to get out of this COVID situation that we're in here in Victoria. But when I look back on my 300th, it's all my family was there. My mum my travelled, my mum and auntie and family travelled from Kalgoorlie. My, my dad came to Port Lincoln. I had friends and family from Darwin, from Queensland. So everyone was there to support me on, on my journey and after the games, you know, we, we had a big function together. My mum and dad were in the same room together, which was rare because uh, they haven't been together for nearly 20-odd years. So it was special and it was one of the best weeks of my life, which we mm. captured as well. It's so special when you get family together to celebrate those beautiful moments and I'm glad they were all there for you. Yeah, and no no hiccups. <laughs> no, hiccups. <laughs> no hiccups is always, always so important. <laughs> So what personal AFL accolades or achievements has meant the most to you in your career? 
Oh, you know, one would be playing your first AFL game, you know, as a little kid growing up with all your cousins playing footy in the backyard, wanting to be like them. And for you to make it out of your family to play that first AFL game was surreal, knowing that you you made it to the big stage. And I guess, you know, when you speak about making the 300 milestone, now making a 350 milestone is pretty special. The birth of my children, you know, because they've been brought up in this Louis Billy, all they know is football. So something that I look back on and would think that that's a special moment in, in my life during my time playing football. And then little things like going overseas to, to play for Australia. There was one time in 2015 where the AFL organised, you know, the All-Australian side and their families and their kids to all travel to New York. So wow. little things like that. They, would, they took the whole family, me, Anna, Louie and Billy. We only had two at that time. <laughs> and, oh, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> It was really special. You know, I, I want to say the grand final, but I don't want to say the grand final because we yeah. lost it. You know, it was probably one of the, the happiest and sad days of experiencing AFL footy, knowing that you made it to a grand final. Yeah, you're ready to go two hours to hold up that cup. It wasn't rightly so. So it would probably be the, the happiest and, and saddest day of, of football in, in a sense. Definitely. One of the other ones you look back when you're playing with the Adelaide Crows and what, you know, I'll reminisce on is the, the time we spent with Phil Walsh who was yeah. our coach at the Adelaide Football Club. And, you know, with the passing of Phil was, was really hard, really tough to deal with playing AFL footy. And it brought us as a football club, as a whole community together, and we became stronger and connected. And, you know, we'll have friends for life through through that Adelaide Football Club. That was a really difficult time for the whole AFL community, but to have been right there and to have loved him all that time, you know, that, that would have been very, very difficult. And our hearts certainly went out and still do go out to everybody who were close to film. Are there any moments that you look back on and wish you handled differently? <laughs> yeah, there are a few. Uh, you know, like the boat cruise for once with the crows. I've been locked up. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> uh, that'll probably do it. But, you know, I, I what I've done and how we brought up in Aboriginal culture, we move forward. Make mistakes, we'll make up for it. And we learn from it. And, you know, I probably wouldn't want to change anything that I've done because I've learned from it, I became a better person. You know, you need to make mistakes to, to learn and grow. So no one's perfect in, in their lives. So I'm glad that I've made those mistakes so I can learn and grow from them. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's so important to acknowledge that we can learn and grow from mistakes that we make, yes. you know, or things that happen to us that impact us and, and we go, hang on a minute, I could have done a little bit better. So you know, that's an important message for everyone. And of course, you know, our fans are going to want to know, do you have a favourite goal? I do. I've done a lot of media this week and I've been asked that question, I think, about 50 <laughs> times this week. And, um, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'll kick four goals of the year. Two of them were in Sodak Nichols' round, which was really, really cool to, to kick a goal of the year in, you know, around that celebration of people and your culture. Uh, but in particular, one of those goals were against GWS. My dad's sister, Annie Susie Betts, designed a jersey. The jersey represents my country, where I come from, the far west coast, the Wurrunga Kukutamob, back in Port Lincoln, Sejuna. You know, to kick goal of the year in that round, knowing that my aunties in the stand, my grandmother's in the stand, my father's in the stand, watching me run out in her jersey to win, to kick that goal was really special and something that I hold close to my heart. That one would be the best.
Yeah, and I can't believe you didn't have the whole entire community of Sejuna and Fort Lincoln in the stadium. They probably were there. (laughs) (laughs) You must have got a lot of tickets that day. That's the hardest thing of of organising is tickets. I thought that's one thing I'm not going to miss, organising all those tickets for everybody. I know, bless you. Just because they love you, that's all it is. But I know all those aunties, they want those tickets, that's for sure. Ah, True God. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot has changed in your time in the AFL. What are your thoughts about AFLW? It's unbelievable to have 18 teams now that my daughters are going to grow up with, people that they can, you know, watch and play, do as well. And a lot of people have come up to me and said, thank you for supporting AFLW, well done. And I got a lot of these messages, but I don't need a pat on the back. You don't need a pat on the back for doing something that's just normal and something that you should do is support the AFLW. So, you know, we stay involved. We were very connected with the Crows when they first came into the system, the Adelaide Crows girls, and, you know, went down and helped out at training. There was a one time I, I asked Chelsea and um, Chelsea Randall and MJ if they wanted to come around for dinner. I said, yeah, come around. You can invite whoever you want. And I got a text message back saying the whole squad's coming. So, <laughs> So me and Adelaide, we catered, invited them all over and told them to bring their partners as well and the good old feed and we supported them the whole way through. And even coming to Carlton now, you know, we've supported the Carlton women's all the way through and we'll continue to support them. But like I said, we don't need a pat on the back to support women's footy. That's beautiful. What do you think still needs to happen in the AFLW space? I think we need, you know, and what we're fighting for is the equal rights with payments as well. And we need more women through leadership roles. And I think, you know, that, that, that goes throughout the AFL system. You know, there's a lot of men club driven within the AFL system and you, you would know a bit about that. And uh, I think the more women we get throughout the, the clubs and the AFL system, the better we're going to be. And that continues through for the AFLW. I know we just signed Beck Goddard. So she's become the, the Hawthorne coach now, which is which is unbelievable. But I think the more women coaches we get throughout the AFL dub and AFL men's, the better we're going to be. So Eddie... You and I have both talked about education playing a huge role in ending racism, but in recent weeks, Taylor Walker, who'd had 15 years of education at club level, showed us that more than education just needs to happen to stamp out racism. Has this moment made you reflect on how you move forward in this space? It was a shock knowing that I'd come from Taylor and being close friends with him for six years and obviously he'd been in the system for 15 years. It was hard to think every racism incident is hard to sink and it cuts deep but yeah it was impactful throughout the AFL world it was a shock for everyone knowing that it was from a player of his stature mm. and so you know moving forward we've got to be strong you know no matter who they are no matter where it comes from you've got to stamp it out because there's no room for racism in Australia and when we mean no room there's no room no matter who you are you know the AFL brought out a statement saying there's no room so that's it you brought that statement out now so there's no room no matter if you're CEO of a company stamp it out and They've got to be held accountable. They definitely need to be held more accountable. I think I took from that moment the fact that he'd had so much education was that it's also that he wasn't reflecting on himself as a person. He has reached out to me and I've spoken to him. I told him how I felt and I told him that, you know, it, it was disappointing. But now he's on a journey and he's committed to it. And I know Taylor as a person, once he commits to something, he will do it. And hopefully he can drag along people around him, friends and family and educate them along the way as well and because he has a big influence over people. So hopefully he can drag his followings and his, his family and his people along with him. Yeah. Now you've asked allies to help carry the load in ending racism. How important is this? It is because you, you hear us talk about it every year and it feels like the weight's on our shoulders and we have to do it, but it's not up to us. It's, it's up to everyone else. It's, and I told all the players in my speech, don't underestimate the power in your voice. 
because you guys are very powerful. You know, people, they see me speak about it all the time and it's, it's more powerful if it comes from, you know, not Aboriginal people because that's the only way we're going to move forward is that you start those conversations. No one's born racist. They've learned it along the way somewhere and it takes courage to call it out. And I've told them, you know, if you see something, say something, call it out. Don't, don't just let it slip by because that's just casual racism. It takes courage for you to call something out because imagine how much courage it took for that late trainer to, to call out Taylor Walker, the leader of the football club, the face of the football club, you know. It's, uh, yeah. That takes courage. It's, so I put it back on everyone else here in Australia to do your part. Everyone's got a role to play and if, if everyone plays a small part in that role, eventually we, we're going to stamp it out and eventually we can all move forward. But at the moment we can't. We can't move forward because it just keeps happening and happening and we keep talking about it. But the thing, though, we need to catch them because they're just online writing abuse and we need to catch them and keep them accountable. have been speaking to Gil McLaughlin lately and we, we are on the process of doing that, targeting their workplace. So if we find out where they work, we'll go to their CEO and their boss and tell them, you got this person here in your work. Do you want someone like this in your workplace? If it's a minor, we'll target their parents and say, this is what your child has been up to. You know, so we just got to keep everyone accountable. I've had to do that in the past, talk to parents. I have to say. But it makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it you does. And it shouldn't always fall on us, Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander, multicultural people, mm. standing up for it. It should be the wider community, the, the Australian public. Couldn't agree more. I'm Darcy Vessio and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum Podcast. Eddie, you also said this week that currently the AFL isn't a safe place for Indigenous players. What would you recommend to the powers that be make it culturally safe and safe for Indigenous players? You know, it is a great place to be, the AFL. You know, it gives us a a platform to use our voice. But just this year, it's been pretty tough to walk through the doors knowing that, you know, there's been a lot of racism that's happening this year. And behind closed doors, we're doing a lot of stuff throughout the AFL. You know, we're talking to Paul Marsh, uh, the the Players Association, and we've been talking to Gil McLaughlin. and, And like we said, that's the stuff that we're targeting. We'll catch them. We'll target their workplace. We'll target their, their parents if they're minors. And, and these are the, the outcomes that, that are going to happen. But for Aboriginal players at the moment, like we want to rock up like everyone else and just play the game we love yeah. and enjoy footy. But we got to deal with everything else that comes along with that, the, the racism, the stress, the stress that caused with your family. And, and it's draining and it's tiring. And, and it happened a lot this year. So so this year, and that's why I made that comment that at the moment, throughout this year, it wasn't safe for us players just to rock up and play because we couldn't just rock up and play. Yeah, We had to deal with all this other stuff that's going on in the background. Like play at teammates, they're not Indigenous teammates. They're not dealing with this. They're rocking up, preparing. There's no stress in the world. They're, they're getting ready for a game. We've got racism that we're dealing with our family that we're at the pressures that you know what's happening how are we going to stop this and and all of this and and it just kept happening for the whole year and so that's that's why i made those comments in a sense that uh, i didn't want to say it was wasn't safe in general because it is a safe place to be but it's just the things that you know that we have to deal with it's a place though that there needs to be more support and more needs to be done thing is, though, I've spoken to Gil, spoken to Paul Marsh, and we've been fighting for it ever since I've been playing AFL footy, and that's we need that Indigenous design officer in there. We need a, a culturally safe spot for these young Aboriginal kids to come and lean on because, yeah, they've got well-being and people there, but they don't understand what racism feels like. They don't know how to talk to you about it. They don't understand how family deals with it. We need someone there and a culturally safe place where we can just go and yarn and, and talk about it and get our feelings out and knowing that the person you're talking to understands you and he feels it because he's been in the same boat. And I did that at Adelaide. I've got 
Jeremy Johncock, when I got racially abused there, um, I needed someone to talk to. I was staying strong for these young Aboriginal kids, but I needed someone. We had a, a well-being lady there, but she didn't know how I was feeling. She would comfort me and talk to me, but she didn't know exactly what I was going through, what I was feeling. So I said, listen, we need to employ someone here, an Aboriginal Louisiana officer. We've got Jeremy Johncock. We created a culturally safe space, a safe room at the Adelaide Football Club where us brothers can just go and just talk about our feelings, family, the stresses in our life non-Indigenous people to come in, to have a yarn, to talk about the culture and Aboriginal culture and learn a little bit. So speaking to Gil, and I said, that's the main thing that we need at the moment in this in this AFL world. And they're going to mandate that now going forward. Yes. And, you know, about time. You know, it took me 17 years to get it done, but we finally got it done. You did, and it will make a massive difference for future generations in this space. Well done. Let's talk about your beautiful family. I hear out of all of your children, Lewis, Billy, Twins Alice and Maggie, Eddie Jr. Lewis is struggling the most. How is he processing this week to date? I think I think COVID has been good for him because of obviously he can't go to games, kind of weaned him a little yeah. bit out of it because he's been brought up in this life, footy's his life. He and I've always told him you've got a different life to any other kid because you can come into the change rooms, you can hire for Patrick Dangerfield, Bruce Lone, all these players, you can do what you want. Basically, you own that change room. Just walk around, <laughs> eat the food, and then coming into Carlton, you know, high five and Patty Cripps and the, and the players like this. And he was sad. He was really sad. But I, I said to him, mate, we, stick, we still go to the change room because we'll visit the players. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll still know who you are. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the next journey is going to be exciting. But he's accepted that, you know, that I'm not going to be there. We'll go to games when things open up and go watch the players and support the players and and I'll spend times like that enjoying it with him. Yeah, I get that feeling. It's um, it's pretty difficult for him. But you're right, this weaning off process has probably helped him quite a bit. What about Anna? How does she feel about this weekend and all that you've achieved together? She's happy <laughs> that, I'm, <laughs> that I'm done with footy. No more schedules. No more schedules. I've been on a schedule for 17 years. And because I'm very straight down the line, I want to keep my schedule. Um, you know, 12 o'clock, I've got to eat. I like all of this. Off-season programs, everything's been on a schedule for 17 years. And yeah. I guess, you know, she's relieved now that we can move on with the second phase of our lives. And that's going to be more exciting, I believe. And my journey, our journey is only just beginning, you know. But, yeah, she's... She is relieved. I'm happy. And what are you most looking forward to doing with your family now that you've retired? Going home to country. Uh, I mean, you know, AFL footy has been like a big part of your life and it's always scheduled. Everywhere we went in the last 17 years, it's always planned because of footy and you had to make sure there was a gym there. You had to make sure there was an oval there just to keep you fit and programs and, and all of this where I can just go home to Kalgoorlie now, take my kids, let them put their feet in the red dirt and just walk and, and get back to country and not worrying about, i got to get fit, i got to go to training, uh, I need to find a gym, you know. I'll, I'll continue to work out and stay fit, but it's not, you know, a stress in a sense. You know, no more I want, skin folds. I, I, no more skin folds, you know. And I want to go to, I want to go to Arnhem Land, you know. I want to go to the Gama Festival. I really oh. wanted to go up there and experience the community up there and, and I can't wait to do so just to go spread my love around Australia now within communities because I've always wanted to do it but because of the schedule of AFL, it was hard. So I've told Anna, let's, let's try and make change around Australia, especially in these communities and go visit them and put smiles on these kids' faces. Melting my heart. If you need someone to carry bags, you know, <laughs> you know how to get me, Eddie. <laughs> now, the Carlton Cheer Squad, we saw them support you all the way. Can you put into words what they mean to you? 
and obviously they mean a lot to myself. You know, they have the reason that really made me enjoy footy, to be honest, because they've always shouted my name. And even when I went to Adelaide, they, they would support me no matter what. And, you know, when we played against Carlton, I would walk down to Chisco and they'll be chanting my name and I'm on the opposite side. And, uh, you know, they've been pretty crazy. And, and the Adelaide cheer squad as well, you know, and there's a, yeah. I became pretty close with the Adelaide cheer squad and the Rainbow cheer squad. Yeah. The Adelaide Crows Rainbow Cheer Squad. So they've they've been big supporters of myself and Anna and our family, um, and I thank them dearly for it. You know, they'll they'll be forever in our hearts, and we we still supported. You know, when we went back last week and played against Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval, I knew it was my last game. Got in contact with the the Cheer Squad, the Crows Cheer Squad, and the Rainbow oh. Cheer Squad, and I said, "Listen, this is going to be my last." ever game at Adelaide Oval and I wish it was against Crows but it's not but it'll be great to see you if you guys would love to come and I got more tickets oh, and they yeah. all came which was oh, fantastic and which was awesome. I was gonna not cry during this but you might get me there on the one. <laughs> <laughs> and the fans what would you like to say to them? Well they make footy you know without fans it, it's tough and it showed you know in the last two years the Without fans, it's it, it's crazy. You go out there, it's dead silent. And you can't really get the momentum up. You can't really play the brand that you want. And I love to entertain. Yeah. I love to kick goals. I love to put smiles on people's faces in the stand. And it was hard because, you know, no one was there. And so to the fans, I want to thank them dearly for backing me in and supporting me in my whole 17 years of playing AFL footy. You know, when I walk the streets, I've got a lot of people come up to me. They don't even barrack for Carlton. <laughs> And they just say, thanks for everything you've done. Love watching you play. And they've just been a big support of mine. And I just want to thank them dearly because without the fans, I probably wouldn't be the player that I am today. You know, with them going crazy every time I went near the ball, cheering me, nice messages I've received. It's been unbelievable. But I just want to thank everyone out there, all your fans. Thank you very much. Have you been fielding any second-tier football phone calls all week? (laughs) (laughs) And is that something we're going to see for you in the future? Ah, uh, no, nah, not really. I, I, I made a joke. My brother-in-law plays out in the country in a rally football club in the Ovens and Kings, and he said that he's going to put me up there, put me in a Ford pocket, and payment would be a boat ride on his boat down at the in the Ovens and catch some cod. Um, nice. But yeah, it's. I don't think I would play. You know, I got Joey Anderson texted me and said. Um, Matty Campbell's coaching Buffaloes up in Darwin. If you ever think about doing anything, we'll fly you up and fly you back. And uh, I'm done. Uh, I've played 350 games. Um, you know, maybe ask me three years' time down the yeah. track because, you know, at the moment it's quite raw. I'm only retiring now. I might miss just getting out, putting the boots on and kicking the footy. I mean, I'll do that anyway with my kids and get involved with their football and, and their coaching. And so... Yeah, maybe down a track. You know, my cousins, when you speak about, you know, carnivals, the footy carnivals, the Kukuri carnival, there's a Nunga carnival, there's, there's a carnival in, um, in Kalgoorlie at the end of this year and my brother boys already rang me up. It's a big <laughs> family footy club and I played when I was younger. Said, you're retired now, you have to fulfill your role back home with the mob and come and play. I said, I'll be water boy. I'll be water boy. I, I don't think I could play. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you'll be able to help yourself on that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I might get back and get too excited. Exactly. So what is next for you, Eddie? Next is very exciting. Working with Coles at the moment within Aboriginal communities around Australia, which I'm really excited about. I'm working at Fox Footy at the moment. I like doing media, but the reason is I need my people to see a black face on on TV, someone that they could understand, someone that could, instead of all non-Indigenous people around the table talking about Aboriginal issues. um, And the next phase too, I'm just starting up a foundation. Uh, We're putting a team together. And it's about, you know, help young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander youth 
become leaders and, and anything they do, you know, whether it's playing sports. But the most important thing is education first. We wanted them to get that education, get that leadership part as well, and then you know they could be whatever they want to do. And the third part is that I wrote two children's books, uh, My Kind and My People, and we're in the process of turning it into a cartoon series at the moment, which is going really well. So it's pretty busy. So it's non-stop for me. (laughs) So. Might have to get yourself a diary, Eddie. Yeah, I think I do now. Um, (laughs) But I'm looking forward to working in the next phase of my life and it's pretty full on at the moment. So it's going to be exciting and I I can't wait. Well, we can't wait either. And finally, what lessons have you learned along the way in the AFL space that you will take into your next phase of life? Probably just to use my voice. When I first got to AFL, I didn't didn't speak. I was quite shy. I didn't know how to. And so playing AFL footy for seven years I grew in that space I grew and I grew and I grew and I became more educated more confident and I believed what I was saying was right and you know I thank Adam good for part of that reason is that he helped me find my voice I guess that was probably one of the biggest things that I learned throughout our footy is to, to use your voice because Aboriginal people lead in different ways you know we're not always the ones standing at the front saying look at me I'm talking here's the powerpoint and all that we lead completely different and it's just the way that we've been brought up and I guess it showed me that, you know, many people can lead in many different ways. And especially in our culture, we lead differently. And, you know, we have to let organizations know that, you know, Aboriginal people lead different. You know, they're leaders in their own, in their own space. And we have to make them shine bright in that space. So they, they are heard and they, are, they do become leaders. So I guess that's probably the biggest thing that I've got out of playing AFL footy. Well said. Eddie, thank you for that smile, that excitement, the joy and the advocacy for our children and the little ones that you haven't even met so they don't have to face racism alone. And one day, hopefully they never have to face racism. Enjoy this Saturday night against GWS. Be present and have lots of fun. And thank you so, so much for being on the Outer Sanctum podcast. No, thanks, God. Thanks, Shelley. And um, yeah, two more hours. Two, two more, more glorious hours. hours. Two more glorious <laughs> hours and... Um, Yeah, we'll uh, see how we go, but thanks everyone for having me.